0: Every now and again, a movie is produced that's based on the Bible. In 2014, one of those films is Noah, a movie by Darren Aronofsky. The actors are incredible. We've got Russell Crowe, who we may be familiar with from Gladiator, or Le Misérable, as Inspector Javet, A superb actor. We have Anthony Hopkins playing Methuselah. Emma Watson, who's going to play Noah's daughter-in-law. Some of you would know her as Hermione Granger from the Harry Potter series. Great actors. The acting isn't even bad. Yet the film is somewhat odd. I'd say it's a mixture of at least three elements. Bible, science fiction, and the Apocrypha. And when I say the Apocrypha, I don't mean the Old Testament Apocrypha, those books that are found in Catholic and Orthodox Bibles, which are actually really similar to the regular books of the Old Testament anyway. I mean the more um, exotic Apocrypha, Pseudepigrapha, books like First Enoch. So we've got a mixture of these uh, Jewish or sometimes Christian speculative writings, those Apocrypha, Bible, and sci-fi. So, for example, in 1 Enoch, we read about the Watchers, The Watchers are um, a a race of beings. Well, They're not human, Um, and depending which version uh, you read about the men, they may be friendly or they may be um, uh, um, hostile to humans. In this story, they shelter Cain after he kills his brother, but they're huge. They're made of stone. They remind you of the ents that Tolkien created uh, for the Lord of the Rings series, though I think that... The watchers are more eerie, and strangely enough, they help Noah to build the ark. The ark is shaped like a barge, not like the ocean-going vessel or the uh, smooth and rounded, aesthetically pleasing ark we see in Sunday school literature. Um, Actually, to their credit, the barge shape is the way the Bible describes it in its dimensions, 30 by 5 by 3. What about the animals. Well, the birds all fly to the ark. That's interesting. The animals come, and these are not the animals of the ancient Near East, that is, those who lived around the eastern Mediterranean, those known in the biblical world. He's got all of them, you know, the giraffes, the rhinos, uh, which, of course, raises a whole host of questions. And But one of them, he seems to have thought about in advance. You know, how do you maintain animals Uh, for a year afloat in close quarters so they don't eat eat each other, and Aronofsky has the animals sleeping. Well, there's violence in this film. Perhaps you saw the History Channel's Bible, the Bible, that was in 2013, where Abraham is a fighting man, which he actually is if you go to the book of Genesis, but he's quite a fighter, and you may remember the ninja angels. Well, Noah Is a violent man. In my opinion, more violent than Abram in the series The Bible. Even the Ark suffers violence. In the flood story, it comes to rest somewhere in the mountains of Ararat. No one knows where that is, but it doesn't come to rest. It really comes uh, as more like a crash. It's smashed. It's broken in two, like the Titanic. And also, oddly enough, Noah doesn't use the wood. I would think, if this is an historical story, that that massive quantity of timber would have been very useful. So I'm saying it's an interesting mixture of sci-fi, genuine Bible, and supplementary material from the Apocrypha. So how do they build the drama? Well, you have to have good people and bad people. You have the line of Seth, the line of Cain. In Genesis, with the death of Abel, the righteous lineage is wiped out. Cain and his descendants, as you look through Genesis 5, are fairly worldly people. And it's not until they give birth to Seth, and I should have said Genesis 4, it's not until they give birth to Seth in Genesis 5 that you have righteousness again, and people begin to call the name of the Lord. So you've got the good guys and the bad guys. Tension between the line of Cain, who's represented by the biblical character Tubal Cain. You may remember him. He's a minor minor character in Genesis. And then the line of Seth, which includes uh, Methuselah and Noah. There's tension also between Noah and his family, uh, particularly between him and his son Ham. You may remember in Genesis 9, that weird event um, where Ham sees his father's nakedness and Noah curses Canaan, um, that's portrayed in, a, in a, a very delicate way, but there's tension between Ham and Noah throughout the film. I mean, Ham almost doesn't make it back to the Ark in time. His girlfriend, although she's an innocent uh, person, is drowned in the flood, which causes theological problems for Ham. To make it even more tense, it's not just the eight persons on the Ark that you would have counted in Genesis or in First Peter. It's not just Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. There's a stowaway. And that stowaway is the archenemy, Tubal-Cain. And to build even more. Noah somehow becomes convinced that God's will means that he has to kill some of his own family members to truly give the earth a fresh beginning, a new start. God has to start over with Noah, and the line must not be contaminated. And so he struggles not to become one of the persons of violence, on whose account the earth was destroyed in the first place. Because in Genesis 6, this is given as the reason for the flood. It's the violence of mankind. So the violence is not just without, it's also within. It's not just in the world outside the ark, it's within the heart of Noah. And after the ark comes to rest or comes to crash, Noah plants grapes, uh, vineyard, he makes wine from the grapes, and he gets drunk. And here, his drunkenness is not just an accident, a one-off event. It seems to be a response to the pressures of being the patriarch and being responsible for repopulating the world. Kind of an ent- interesting thought. Noah is estranged from his family. He's estranged from his wife and sons. He has a supportive daughter-in-law, though. Now, he seems to make it up with his wife and family in the closing scene. Now, that's because Finally, Moses chooses mercy over judgment. So obviously, there's a lot of speculation in this film. Let me sum up um, thoughts and and let's see what you think. Perhaps you've seen the film or you will. Um, I am not recommending it uh, highly. I, I I did get a lot of questions. I received emails. You know, what do you think, Douglas, of this film? And I didn't know. Uh, because I hadn't seen it, and then I was uh, on a flight uh, crossing an ocean, and I realized, oh, that's playing, so I'll watch it, and I'll take notes. I don't normally do that when I go to the cinema, which is actually pretty rare, but uh, I, I did write some things down in my iPhone. So whether you take the flood story literally or more as a parable, whether you take it figuratively or very literalistically, doesn't really matter. It's a powerful story, one of sin and redemption and God's grace. It's a story that was known in the ancient world because the Babylonian version and the Sumerian version before that, the differences between the biblical story and the pagan story are many. And if you want more on that, uh, please listen to my podcast, Questions uh, on Genesis. Yet, the version that's been portrayed in the movie is flat compared to the Bible story. Even though the Bible story is pretty short, it's simple, it lacks any kind of high-tech effect, yet I would vote for the Bible story for depth, for true pathos, and for really moving the readership. Aronofsky, in the movie Noah, takes considerable liberties, folding in apocryphal material, even then quite selectively and speculatively, sci-fi themes. And if you like the science fiction genre, you'll notice elements of other movies and books in this film. And also he takes considerable liberty in probing the psyche of different uh, characters in the Flood narrative. Now, I appreciate what he does with women, uh, because the women are, are barely mentioned in the flood account of Genesis 6-9. Uh, to nine. And it's certainly interesting, yet it goes well beyond Scripture. And I, I don't think it's wrong to probe the depths of one's heart, conscience, character, psyche, if the Bible is already leading us to do that. I'm just not sure that that's what the Genesis account is intended to do. You might also like to listen to my Old Testament character podcast on Noah. Okay, so... He takes considerable liberties. He's made a story that's pretty flat, I think, compared to the Bible story. And I think next he gives in too much to mm, the pressure of addressing modern questions. So, for example, in this film, hunters are bad because really you should just eat vegetables. Uh, and there's a concern for the environment, which is great, but. We have mushy animal shots with the new world, you know, all these peaceful animals. But that's not a a realistic view of nature. It's not a biblical view either. It's not like the animals are moral. Animals are animals. And we're called to have dominion over them. And we're called, we're given permission to eat them, at least in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And we're called to rise above their level. There's uh, one scene in the film where you have a Certain to, certainly to me, looks like a dinosaur running around. I often get this question. If Genesis all takes place in just a few millennia, and God created all, all creatures, then didn't humans and dinosaurs coexist? I've addressed this in another place. I think the answer is no. But here, the um, producer is trying to uh, answer that question and perhaps suggest that the, the Earth is small. Although there's a Big Bang... Sometimes he seems to be bowing to the young earth creationists. Uh, There's a survivalist theme. And lately, that is in the 2000s, with the popular zombie genre, uh, that's another podcast on zombies you may enjoy, uh, there's a strong emphasis on survival. So you need weapons, you need food, and you need a plan. Because if it comes to the end of the world, You certainly don't want to have to share your limited resources with others. I'm just not really sure how well that fits into Christianity. And there are other uh, places where I I think the film is just addressing modern questions instead of the really ancient questions. I mean, at one point, there's even a shot, uh, kind of an aerial shot of, of Ararat or that region, and... A, a place, a, a photo is actually fairly well known, where um, some of the literalists believe the ark has settled. Though I think that's extremely unlikely. Uh, it's been woven into this. So there are themes in Noah, uh, both to attract and to repel Bible readers, fundamentalists, um, even potential seekers. See, I'm afraid that the heavy injections of science fiction may lead people to reject. The story of Noah as pure fiction, and I mean without any value other than the way in which it reflects our own feelings and prejudices. However, you interpret the story, if this is a reflection of God's truth, then we can't say it's pure fiction. The story of Noah is the Word of God, God is speaking to us. He's giving us biblical truth in the story, and I, I don't think it's wise to risk uh, people's ability to take that in. If Scripture is a mirror, surely Scripture is a mirror which shows us our true selves, our sin, and calls us to repentance, not just something that reflects modern concerns and you know typical Bible questions. So in these areas, the film intrigues, but it doesn't convict. Genesis makes little effort to explore the psychology of Noah. In my opinion, neither should we. And I'll end my comments there.